now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, you're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings, and Carrie Smith, home inspector from Inspect Tech. If you need an opinion from experts in insurance, mortgages, or building inspections, you should really look up Denise, Lori, and Carrie. They're great people to talk with. To find them, just visit the cfax1070.com website. Look under Shows. There you'll find us, the whole home show, with me, Tony Joe. Their contact information is all there, or you can always find me or reach out to me. I would be happy to connect you. Now, what's my background is your host for the next hour. I am a locally born and raised Victorian. I've been selling homes here in Victoria for 27 years. I've overseen over 2,500 transactions locally, so I've seen almost every situation you can imagine. Call me if you need a seasoned professional for your real estate needs. Recently, a controversial development was approved at Victoria City Hall on the site of the former Truth Center. The public hearings, which I attended, brought out much emotion and tension among those in the community and especially the neighborhood. What causes a development to be so controversial? What causes neighbors to get so angry? And how does a community move forward in developing properties here in Victoria? Today, our guests are Patrick Marshall, who has a very diverse and long-standing background in the areas of development. And also we have Ken Milbrath, who is the president of the Vancouver Island Trail. He'll be talking to us about the trail uh, to some extent today. Let's start our show with our usual weekly listener question. If you have a question or curiosity about real estate, call us on our hotline. The number is 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. Or find us online. Again, it's cfax1070.com. And we'll discuss it on air. Got an email this week from Laurel. And I'm going to read it to you here. Thanks for the insights you give weekly on your show. I'm curious to know what some of your real estate horror stories are. That's a great one. Not really a question, but uh, I had to think about this one. So I had some time to prepare. Uh, Again, I've been doing this for a really long time. So there's just, there's a lot of stories and they all start to sort of start glomming together. Uh, But I will give you a few here at Laurel. Um, The first is uh, my prior business partner from many years ago uh, and I were called to do a a walk around on a waterfront property in 10 Mile Point. This would have been back in about 1992, so a long time ago. Uh, We went to the property. We were told to uh, enter through the side gate, have a look at the waterfront. It was a beautiful tiered property. Uh, And we did that, walked down to the water. Uh, All of a sudden, we turned our heads, and right behind us on the next tier level, uh, right at face level, was a very angry Doberman pincher. We're talking ears back with the uh, teeth uh, snarling. It was really something. Now, I'm fine with dogs. I have dogs. have had dogs for some time. Uh, Bonnie, my good friend, uh, who is still an agent here in town, on the other hand, does not like dogs. So she grabbed my arm and basically turned to stone. She petrified. It was (laughs) hard to get her moving. Uh, her nails dug into my arm. That was lots of fun. We did finally manage to get to the car. Uh, she ran to the car. The heel of her um, of her pump uh, <laughs> uh, um, 
cut her nylon. It was it was quite funny. That was one example. Uh, the seller basically forgot to tell us about the dog. Uh, the next one is we had one not too long ago where a client of ours, a bar, a buyer client of ours, uh, bought a house. And of course, when you buy a house, there's usually uh, three mo- uh, sorry uh, thirty days, two months, or three months between when you make the contract and when you actually physically move in. Uh, on the moving date, my guy showed up in their moving van, a family with two young kids. Uh, they showed up in the driveway, and the seller hadn't even started packing yet. Uh, now, that's the first time that it ever happened to me. And basically, the bottom line is it was a separation situation. Uh, the husband who still lived in the house was basically holding uh, um, the ex ransom. And uh, what we had to do is we had to call the sheriff to come in. Uh, and the sheriff did uh, did their job and had him extracted. Uh, goes without saying, it's a very high pressure uh, and very tense situation, especially when the buyers have young kids. What do you do with your young kids in your van? And again, the uh, the prior owner hadn't even started packing, so uh, that was a fun one. Just a couple of years ago, I bumped into that buyer client. By the way, just a couple of weeks ago. He's still very happy at the house. Great stories to talk about. Uh, had a story. This one wasn't mine. This was another agent. Sold a condo uh, in town. Uh, the buyer had two small dogs. And I don't know what happened, but during the heat of the moment, I guess the buyer didn't read the fact that the restrictions have only one small dog allowed. So she moved in with her two dogs. The Strata uh, politely said, I'm sorry, you can't have two dogs. And she was despondent. She was upset because the two dogs are her kids. So the uh, the unfortunate happenstance was one of the dogs was older. And what she did is she had my agent colleague actually take the dog in to have him put down. Wow. Now that is a tough job. Um, yeah, that's, that's a story. Again, that wasn't me. Uh, how about this one here? There was a house in the gorge a number of years ago. Uh, there was a notation on the listing that said, no entry without breathing apparatus. And the reason being is uh, apparently the house was just full of mildew and mold. Uh, now, this was several years ago. I'm going to say this is probably about 15 years ago. We handle things very differently nowadays, especially in the days of hazardous material handling. We've had hazmat companies here on our show before. Uh, and it was even said here in the studio, you don't just put on one of those paper masks and walk into a property like that. It is dangerous. Airborne particles, mold, mildew, it can make you sick for a very long time. But anyways, it was actually this particular house in the gorge. It was not just um, the breathing apparatus. They also wanted to, you to wear one of those um, sort of painter's outfits with the slip-on shoes. Uh, you end up looking like a surgeon uh, at a hospital. So there, there is danger there. Uh, I, I would say nowadays we'd market a house like that as a teardown. Don't even bother looking at the house. It's all land value there. Uh, but that was a, a gorge waterfront property. Uh, and I think the last one I want to share with you guys, and as I'm as I'm verbalizing this right now, a lot more are coming to mind. It's a really interesting job. As you can imagine, real estate for 27 years, as things change, uh, we get to see uh, all cases, happy families, unhappy families. Uh, the last one that I want to tell you guys about is uh, we we sold a condo in the Quadra area. And, and my seller, we sold it to the neighbor right next door. So um, it was basically a condo swap situation. It was uh, 
kind of awkward because the neighbor right next door was renting, so she had to be out of her unit at a specific time. Uh, and I remember the moving day there, what had happened was the buyer or the, the, the tenant had to lay out all of her belongings in the hallway while my seller uh, was packing to move, uh, had to get all of her belongings out through the same hallway uh, into the uh, elevator and into the uh, the moving van, uh, it was really quite the uh, it, it was quite the um, uh, the effort there. Uh, very strange things like that. Uh, you know, you don't get to see every day. Like I said, it's one of the fun things about uh, this job here, about real estate. We get to see a little bit of everything. Um, there are other stories that I've heard about from other agents. I have to say, uh, my experience is lacking in the ones like walking into people uh, still in a shower or things like that. We hear about that all the time. People in the bathroom. Uh, but you know, there's courtesies as well too. When we enter a house, we make sure we knock really loud. We ring the bell a few times as we walk in. We yell out just to make sure that we don't catch somebody in a uncompromising situation. Um, but there are many things like that. There's books out there, by the way, too, that you can find uh, online uh, stories about uh, realtors and what they find. Very, very interesting. Thanks for your uh, question, though, uh, Laurel. So again, it wasn't really um, a house or home related. Uh, but I'm always happy to share some of the things that I've gone through in this business. Uh, thanks again for your question. For anyone else, if you have a question, you can call us on our hotline, which is 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. Or go online at cfax1070.com. Uh, send us a message. I'd be happy to address it. Now, for all of you who are podcast listeners, you can also find our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Just look up the whole home show with Tony Joe, or of course, you can always visit the CFAX website where all of our past episodes are streaming. Again, today we're going to be talking about new developments in Victoria and how these things get passed, especially through controversial uh, times. Uh, we have guest Patrick um, Marshall and also Ken Milbrath will be chatting about our recent experience at the Victoria True Center on 4th Street, among a whole bunch of other things. Our next guest will be Ken. He'll be here with us right after we take our break. Back in just a moment. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our guest in the studio right now is Ken Melbrath. Ken is the president of the Vancouver Island Trail. Ken, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Tony. Yeah, Ken, you've got quite the background here. I see you graduated uh, from UVic in, uh, well, I won't say the year here, but with a, <laughs> uh, a Bachelor of Science in Geography. Uh, you cl you uh, completed your MBA at uh, Dalhousie, Dalhousie, right? Exactly. Uh, and your career includes uh, being a commercial lender for a division of Citicorp, later for a Calgary-based real estate lender, teaching finance and marketing at UVic and at Camosun College, uh, managing the Business and Industry Development Center at UVic, and working with the province managing... Um, Business Information Centers, right? Right. Yeah, so you've got a, a great background. And uh, we met, we've spent some time recently uh, because there's been conversations about this development that has happened at the True Center in Fort Street. I don't want to get too much into that right now, but one of the things that I want to talk about, because I learned from you, I, I honestly, I did not know about the Vancouver Island Trail. Ah, right. And, of course, I know now, based on what I've heard you say, I've been on your website, I've had a look at it. Uh, I'm going to guess that a lot of our listeners right now don't know about the Vancouver Island Trail. Right. So can you tell us about it? Where sure. do we start? Sure. Well, the trail actually started around 2004. And uh, 
they, a group of people, not including me, I've only been on the board for about three years, uh, put a lot of time and effort and money into developing this trail. And the trail basically runs 770 kilometers from Anderson Hill Park in South Oak Bay to the northwest tip of the island at Cape Scott. Mm -hmm. uh, we're currently at around 80% complete. Um, and we're, we, we basically feel we're at base camp now. We're, we're in a period of transition right now. We're trying to become a lean, mean fighting machine. Yeah. And uh, we're just trying to sprint to the finish line. Uh, we have the same problems that the uh, various trails, my urban trail, the Pemberton Trail, and, and the True Center property have with the Vancouver Island Trail in that we do have uh, some serious uh, blockages throughout the island mainly on the ENN land grants, land grant property. And uh, this property was, is basically held by private forest companies or from forest companies, it's private land. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have a real problem with allowing access, even if it's just footprints across the property. Yeah. So uh, we're working on that right now. And as well, we're trying to raise some more profile about the, uh, about the trail. We've, uh, recently changed the name of the trail to make it easier. Well, to what was recommend. it before? It was called the Vancouver Island Spine Trail. Spine Trail? Yes. Okay. And uh, uh, that was because there was, uh, the, the heart of the trail, the whole champion, the champion of the trail is Gil Parker. And it was his vision. And he's, a, he's a quite a famous Canadian alpinist. And uh, so he knew what the word spine meant. But when I came on board, that was my first question. And, you know, was it some lumbar problem? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, people didn't know what the word meant. People, a lot of people don't know that, uh, that it's, there is actually a range of mountains called the Vancouver Island Mountain Range that goes from uh, the south of the island to the north. And that's where our trail is going. Wow. Okay, so I've been on the website, and, and please let the listeners know, what is the website uh, for the trail? It's vispine.ca, but they can just Google Vancouver Island's trail, and, and it'll come up. Okay, so I've had a look at the map, and right. it's amazing, because it goes, it's like the entire length of the island. Yeah. And it's interesting, because just out of Victoria, you know, we're so used to things happening on the east coast of the island. It almost literally uh, bisects the island. It goes right up the middle, right? It, it tries to, yes. Yeah. So so what is the intent of the trail? Like, can someone realistically walk, if they had the time, and go from one point to the other 779 kilometers? Well, you should come with me, Tony. It would only take about three months. Okay. <laughs> I'll book that off. Uh, it's interesting looking at different trails around North America. Like, my one of the trails that I, I try to emulate as best I can as best we can, is the Bruce Trail. This is about 100 kilometers longer than ours. It runs from Niagara-on-the-Lake up to the Bruce Peninsula in Ontario. Oh, interesting. It's well-established. Uh, they have a market size within an hour-and-a-half drive of about 8 million people. Um, and they have 460,000 users a year. Now, most of those users are day hikers. Uh, and there are some through hikers. I, didn't, I don't have the numbers on how many through hikers there are. But uh, if you look at large trails like the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, most of the long trails tend to go into small communities. So if you can reprovision. You might get a warm bed if you want that, a nice meal. Mm -hmm. And so the amenities for a hiker. Yeah. Various. And cer certainly up island, there's a long distance between communities. So that, the, the main idea is to make sure that we go through these communities. For example, we always, and we always look for opportunities for 
you know, mending trails together. And for example, the Inglewood Trail Line up at Wass, which was recently decommissioned. Wow, that's a name I haven't heard for a long time. Yeah, yes. yeah. That's a beautiful uh, right-of-way. Yeah. And so we're in it, we're on it right away. So we're talking with the Mount Waddington Regional District and the folks from Wass to make it a rail trail. And it will allow... Uh, Oh, about 55 more kilometers to be added to our trail. Okay, so so tell us, who, where do the funds come from? Like, who pays for this trail? It's all privately. Uh, we have. It's so basically, it's a it's a consortium of all these privately owned segments, right? Yes, it's like the Trans Canada Trail or the Great Trail, as it's called now. And it's the Trans Canada Trail, as you know, is just a a knitting together of regional and local trails, mm-hmm. and that's what the Vancouver Island Trail is all about. So. From Anderson Hill Park, we use Oak Bay's Centennial Trail along the waterfront. It takes us down to the Dallas Road Waterfront Trail. That takes us to Mile Zero. At Mile Zero, the Trans-Canada Trail starts. So we piggyback on the Trans-Canada Trail up to uh, the township of Lake Cowichan. And then we veer off. We head north towards Port Alberni. So right now, you could actually walk from South Oak Bay beyond, to beyond Port Alberni. All right. All in one go. I'll get right on that. Yeah, <laughs> we got to check the cell service uh, signal on the way. Uh, you know, it's hard for us realtors to get away like that, right? That's right. it's just amazing, and and I have to tell listeners, you've got to check this out. I had no idea this existed. Yeah, it's it's really a neat, it's a really great concept. Uh, there's nine board members uh, on our board, and uh, we've been very successful. Victoria Outdoors Club recently gave us a check for twenty thousand uh, dollars. One of the one of our directors of fundraising, Liz Bicknell, is also the president of the Victoria Outdoors Club. And she also arranged another additional $20,000 from the provincial government to come to us last year. Mm-hmm. And that was matched by a private investor, another director in our, on our, in our group. So we're sitting with a bit of cash, but the main part of our the, the main part of our transition, especially with the website, is we're, we, we're looking for funds. So anybody... It, everybody can help us by just donating. You can do, donate as, many, as little as $25. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it helps in so many different tax ways, receipts, obviously. Right? Obviously, uh, yeah. we need every single penny. Yeah. It's all tax deductible. Great. So, of course, this is a real estate show, and if listeners are, are wondering, you know, why are we talking about a trail? You see, I, I firmly believe that trails are an amenity within a community. And when right. people purchase homes, they're looking for things. They want to know parks. They want to know schools, shopping, uh, coffee shops. They want to know trails. And right. I think it's really important for uh, a professional like myself to know more about what's out there. But on the other hand, too, uh, one of the things that we are talking about today is the, the Truth Center in the Rockland area because this affected or has an effect on the Vancouver Island Trail. And that's one of the things you spoke up about, right? Right, right. Uh it's very interesting. It's part of the Pemberton Trail Initiative that I started in 2005, and the city adopted it as part of the Greenways Plan in November of 2005. And the trail basically runs uh, from downtown Victoria through the, over the heart of Rockland, down into Brighton, which is parallel to Oak Bay Avenue, yeah, Brighton and then Avenue. follows Brighton all the way through into South Oak Bay yeah. and ends at Anderson Hill Park. So in Rockland, there's six blockages, of, of, and, the, and the Truth Center represented one of the six blockages. So we've had that our eye on that piece of property for a long time, knowing it will come up for development. So when we caught wind of it, um, I contacted Mayor and Council, and uh, Councillor Lucas helped me 
introduced me to Mike Miller, president of Abstract, mm -hmm. and uh, he was very keen on the trail, actually. Uh, the problem in Rockland, there's no access between these very long north-south blocks. So you cannot walk from, say, St. Charles Street to Terrace or from Joan Crescent to Pemberton without walking, around a block. without walking up to Fort Street, yeah. Busy Fort, or going down to Rockland Avenue where there's a sidewalk on the wrong side. Yeah. So you jaywalk Things people across. don't think about. Well, listen, Ken. Uh, yes. Ken Milbrath from the Vancouver Island Trail. We've got to take a quick break. You're not going anywhere because you're still part of the conversation. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll be talking more with Ken and Patrick Marshall. Great. Thanks, Tony. Hi there. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings, and Carrie Smith, home inspector from Inspect Tech. If you are in the market of real estate, either buying or selling, and you need some advice from any of the, these experts regarding mortgages, insurance, or billing inspections, please give them a call. They are great resources that will help you achieve your goal. I'm having a conversation today, uh, first of all, about the Vancouver Island Trail. We'll be talking in just a moment about development and the process of development here in Victoria, specifically the city of Victoria. Before the break, we we're having a conversation with Ken Milbrath. He is the president of the Vancouver Island Trail. Ken, again, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Now, before the break, we were talking about uh, Rockland and about the Truth Center. Of course, people who have been reading the newspapers know that Abstract Developments has uh, recently had their development approved at the old Truth Center site, which is 1201 Fort Street. I know the area well because uh, where Black and White is at Fort and Cook was my family grocery store for 35 years. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so that's my stomping ground. And in the area that you live, I used to deliver yeah. groceries and, and all that stuff. Ah. Yes. But uh, so the Truth Center uh, was really controversial because there was a lot of pushback from the neighbors uh, in the neighborhood. You are actually one of the neighbors, right, Ken? Uh, I live th uh, three blocks away. Yes. Right. But you are in the Rockland yes. uh, Association or, or yes. Rockland neighborhood, right? Yes. Uh, so what we were talking about is how uh, you were very concerned about the connection with the Vancouver Island Trail. Right. And how you got in touch with uh, Mike Miller. Now, you've probably talked to developers before. Right. All right. And this is not a commercial for Mike. I mean, he can speak for himself. He's, sure. he's been here before, right? Um, but what was that process like for the Vancouver Island Trail uh, when you had a chat with this developer about that segment of the trail? Um. He was just very, very interested in the fact that there was a trail. I don't really even think that uh, people regarded it as an amenity that he, he provided. In fact, he got very little credit for that, which I thought was a shame. Um, even the Rockland Neighborhood Association, who unanimously supported the Pemberton Trail, as this section is called, uh, would not endorse this trail through the property for fear of giving a bargaining chip mm -hmm. to abstract. Mm. But I never saw it that way. I saw the development as a whole project. You have to look at it in, in its entirety. And I do believe that it was the best project for the site. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the people that live on Pentrelu, I, I feel very sorry for them. I mean, who wants to live in that, in that mess for two years? But at the same time, I think Plan B was really poor. Uh, plan B was a four-story ugly building on Fort Street with parking at the back with only access on on Pentrelu. Who would have had more car traffic. They would have had a lot more traffic. Yeah, And, and this, is, this is the truth because that's what the developer was able to build without having to go through right. uh, uh, planning in, in City Hall. It, it, could, it, 
it would have been the the path of least resistance. It it would have for sure. And I, I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm trying to stay as neutral as possible because I have to balance very carefully the neighborhood mm-hmm. and the developer and the city council in these. Uh, uh, certainly with these remaining five blockages in Rockland. But, uh, um, you know, Mike will take what he can. I think he's like every other developer in town, for sure. But uh, I don't really feel that it was all that important to him to put the trail in. It, it, I was certainly the main stakeholder. But the other main stakeholders are, right now, now is the art gallery, yeah. because people will be able to walk from downtown to the art gallery, often on a quiet street. Part of the trail actually, if you, it goes up mirrors. Mm-hmm. So for folks that would like to go on a quiet street rather than the historical and busy street of, of Fort, yeah. they can go that way. Um, and also the castle, Craig Derrick Castle, is now only a stone's throw away from the art gallery. So the castle is very, very interested and have written support letters trying to hook up the trail between uh it's actually purcell place or yeah. actually any way through is is of interest yeah my, my problem though with the with the poll process is the city doesn't have the the uh the processes involved it's, just, it's a systemic problem they they don't they can't flag properties so you know it's up to me and others that are part of my team to keep our eyes and ears open so when a, a property does come up Yeah, because nobody tells you. No. You, you've got to be actively on it. Right. Oh, and the city's goodness. not actively involved, even though it is their greenway, and I would think that they have some responsibility to mm-hmm. at least make an attempt to get this project pushed forward. Goodness. But what? I'm just, you know, nudge, nudging them along. And well, I'm, it's great to have you here because I, I'm hoping that our listeners here will learn, have learned a lot more about the Vancouver Island Trail from your time here today. If they need to find the website again, what is it? Just uh, Google Vancouver Island Trail. Very good. Very good. Now, don't go anywhere because we're okay. still going to have conversation here with you. Okay. Uh, we're going to switch over uh, right now to our next guest, Patrick Marshall. Patrick, thanks for coming. Thanks for having us, Tony. Yeah, Patrick, I want to talk about your background here as well. And it's a long one, so this is the uh, abbreviated version. All right. Uh, I like doing my research before You're the scaring comes. me a little bit. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's as long as it is as you are tall. Let's put it to you that way. Um, your background in uh, North York, you were direct, Director of Development Information Property and Economic Development, uh, a Strategic Real Estate Marketing Director um, with a Bowman International Real Estate Marketing, uh, you became the manager of real property and economic development in the city of Campbell River, uh, and then the CEO of the Campbell River Economic Development Corporation. Um, you were the chief executive officer of uh, and business and economic de- developer of Ocean Industries BC, uh, chairman of the board of directors and chief governance officer. Um, who was that with again? Small business. BC. Small business BC. Thank you. And then currently, you are the uh, CEO of uh, Tech Canada, or the chair, sorry, of Tech Canada, uh, TEC. Uh, you've got tons uh, of background. I've gotten to know you over the course of the past few months. One of the re- thanks, by the way, for coming. You're welcome. Yeah. So one of the first things I want to talk about. We had a conversation some time ago about development, and you spent a lot of time uh, in Toronto, uh, seeing. Uh, developments struggle to get through. And of course, now that you're here in Victoria, you're seeing that on a smaller scale, right? Um, 
tell us about the struggles well, that it's, people it's, have. It's not so much a uh, smaller scale in Victoria. Every community thinks it's different and special. And in the communities I've worked in, whether it's the city of North York or metropolitan Toronto, everybody thinks they're, it's only happening to them. But in fact, it happens to everybody. And the reason I raise this is because the Truth Centre property brought me up because I've seen this 30 years ago. I started in this business as a, a student planner with the city of North York in 1979. And we were conducting environmental assessments of subway stations, if, if you could imagine, mm-hmm. having to evaluate what the impact would be on neighborhoods. And neighborhoods are really important. In fact, at that time, I was fortunate enough to, to run into this kind of um, Mother Teresa type figure. Her name was Jane Jacobs. And you'll see around this community, you'll see Jane Walks. And Jane's real interest was in getting, bringing back small town values to neighborhoods so that everybody got to know everybody else. And, and that's what Jane Walks were about. But at that time, back in the 80s, I worked for a little diminutive mayor who used to make me walk 10 paces behind. <laughs> his, his name is Mel Lastman. I'm 6'5". Oh, yes. yeah, He's yeah. not. Yeah. And part of my job was to go out into the community. And I was like the opening act for... Uh, community meetings. And the biggest criticism back then was taxpayers would say, you know, we only see you at election time. And four years would go by and we never see you. So what they did was they put neighborhood council meetings on. So they go into the neighborhoods and have staff down one side and council down the other. And, and, and it'd be open mic, ask any question you want. And I used to host those. And for some of your listeners, they'll remember Phil Donahue, and I was kind of like that figure because I could take... You were the Phil Donahue. I was. I Sorry. was the Phil Donahue. Okay. I'm like 20 years old, and I'm, <laughs> I'm telling people to sit down in the back because they're being rude and all of that kind of stuff. At that time, the mayor had a call-in show, and I couldn't imagine... If you could imagine a call-in show on cable where the mayor, if somebody was rude, he'd just hang up and take the next call. You know, that's, that's, that's accountability. Yeah. And so having had that experience and, and working in smaller communities, we did the same thing in Campbell River. And it's consultation, right? Yeah, totally. So. And uh, what, I, what I appreciate about Victoria is they've adopted this engagement strategy. So when you find a developer that actually does engagement before they file, that's a rarity. And I, I think that was awesome. Yeah, in, uh, in this particular case. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And well, Listen, Patrick, hold that thought because we need to take a break. Uh, we're here with Patrick Marshall talking about development and his experience in Toronto, Canberra River, and here in Victoria. Uh, we'll take a quick little break. Back in just a moment. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're talking right now with Patrick Marshall uh, about development. Where we left off specifically was talking about your experience, Patrick, in uh, Toronto, Canberra River, uh, and also here in Victoria. And one of the comments you made was that uh, the developer at 1201 Fort Street was very... Um, um, engaged, engaged in the community, right? Actually, yeah. I should say, my guest today, Ken Milbrath and um, Patrick Marshall here, we or myself, we do not have a stake in abstract developments. We don't no. work for them. Uh, I have never been paid by them, right? We're just having a conversation today. I know there's con- uh, controversy around the development. Everyone has their their ideas and opinions, right? Um, but the value that you're bringing to our show right now, Patrick, is just talking about how communities engage. Clearly, and, and we have 14 municipalities, and not everybody has adopted this International Association of Public Participation process. Yeah. Um, and when I see a private sector representative do this in their project, I'm thinking, wow, they're thinking. 
Mm. You know, because the beauty of design is that it's influenced by neighborhood participation. Well, hold on a second. Because I, I, I was in the public hearings along with, uh, both of you guys were there as well too, mm. and I heard a lot of residents saying, we did not get consultation. Now, Ken, you're a neighbor. Did You had consultation, obviously. Uh, we had a letter from Abstract, and yeah. then I'm also part of the, I'm a member of the Rockland Neighborhood Association, so we were getting lots of lots of emails from them. But this is, I think this is common to hear in a develop, redevelopment process where neighbors feel that they were not consulted. But I, as an outsider, I kind of have a hard time believing that. Well, in I, I think case. what happens is, some sometimes what happens is if, if a developer doesn't do what the neighbors tell them, they say that they weren't part of the process. And, and people get very heated and it gets very personal. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, and, and not in this case, but in other cases, bullying of neighbors and kind of the demeanor of people that come in representing neighborhood organizations is, is kind of off-putting. It's scary to stand up and speak for something. It's easy to stand up and speak against. Yeah. I mean, Ken, you're, you're an example because you are a neighbor and surely you have upset neighbors who aren't happy with you for your support in the development. Well, it's interesting. Um, I live mid-block on St. Charles, and uh, I'm also the block watch captain of my, <laughs> my little street. There, there's yeah. 16 of us. And every single one of the people that I talked to about the Truth Center supported the project. Okay. Now, they wouldn't come out and say it yeah. um, be, just because of that and, you know, and not wanting to intimidate or they just feel uncomfortable in public speaking. I don't know. But, you know, if you look at the, uh, I think it was the third, uh, Mike's, it was the third um, rendition of the, of the project that he presented to us. Absolutely gorgeous development. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you can't deny the, the architectural mm -hmm. uh, aspect of that. And I really like the idea of the green space um, being kept. And, you know, over the years, I've, I've lived in this home, my home for 31 years. And I've often used that property as a, as a shortcut, even though it says no trespassing and had okay. for 30 years. Yeah. So I think it's just fantastic that it's opened up. And the, the mistake that the city didn't make on this project, which they made on the original, my, the original project was actually the Wilmar Estate that I was involved in back in 2004. That's the one on St. Charles that has the red tiled yes. Todd yep, yep. mansion that was yep. in total disrepair. Mm -hmm. And the development there looks really great. Um, with townhouses and they fixed up the mansion. But when I went and talked to the developer about it, I noticed, I said, I noticed that you, you have control of access from both St. Charles Street and Pemberton Road. Um, how about some pedestrian access through there? It's blocked And out, he yeah. showed, yeah, here it is. So, bank, wow, this is fantastic. Well, the city never took uh, easement, or a, I oh, guess it's yeah. an SRW. Yeah, so it's right of way, right of way yeah. for that property. But this time, uh, I, I'm a little more. I was a little more educated, yeah. and Mike was quite happy to give an SRW, uh, not only on the pathway, by the way, on that curved pathway that connects Will Spencer and and uh, Penterloo to Fort Street, but also on the uh, on the west side, uh, there is an, uh, a right of way or an easement in favor of the city that will then allow future connections with. Uh, Linden yeah. on the backside. Yeah. Ken makes a really good point. If you don't have people on staff that are familiar with property, um, you can have urban regional planners that are great at drawings and, and you know counting the square feet in a condo unit, but if they don't 
understand property dynamics, they're not going to catch this kind of stuff. Yeah. And Ken's point earlier as well is, and, and not to, you know, not to pile on the municipality, but if you're going to have policies that talk about greenways, you got to put in mechanisms to track this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think, uh, I, I was really, uh, surprised that in this project that the greenway came up and it was accommodated and it was a result of the public engagement process. And that's what we need at local government levels. So there's an onus on staff, councillors. Like if a councillor votes against projects like that, they're voting against the processes they, they put in place. You know, there's engagement. You have a result, which is the Greenway 1-6 is connected. You know, how do we go after the other 5-6 uh, to make it work? And these are all part of the values that are important to the neighbourhood. The other part is that we have neighbourhood associations who believe that their plans su- supersede an official the, the community official, plan. The OCP, yeah. And they don't. I mean, yeah. it's great, but to me, if I was coming in the next iteration of a municipal council, I'd be investing in those neighborhood associations to make sure everybody's talking from a, a similar starting point. Right. Because carrying forward plans that are 30 years old, that's not a plan. Uh, the business cycle now is like 90 days, mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. a change. So, you know, carrying you know old ideas of what neighborhoods look like uh, – uh, outside of a heritage section, really does not make sense and does not do service to the municipality overall. I'm a resident of Victoria. That's why I went and participated. Because when you see good examples, you wanna you wanna reward that, mm-hmm. and you wanna talk more about it. But it's hard it's hard for a developer to find support from uh, the the positive supporters. Like typically, the negatives, the 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 cons are the you know pros and cons. Well, I, the well, cons I, are the ones that come out, right? Yeah, I think sure. in this instance, they put together a community advisory forum of interest parties that had common interest on this project Mm -hmm. and the conversation at that forum was awesome Mm -hmm. you know i think every developer should do it as a a matter of good business yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, instead of just filing an application and hoping for the best the other the other phrase is as of right yes and as of right the developer could have built a building with vinyl siding that had zero setback parking in back and no access to anybody more units too because it was 93 90 something versus 83 right right? and and it's it's not an issue of of what people's uh, background are or their income or, you know, affordability. I think the point that was made was accessibility to housing. Yeah. And uh, this particular project, I mean, there's going to be more. There are more coming. And I think those municipalities that create the groundwork by, by going out and talking to neighborhood organizations and investing in those organizations and their visioning processes are going to see a better process in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't, it's just going to be neighbor against neighbor. And, it's a systemic problem too. Like I, you know, the, and this is a great, great conversation, like, because you talk about the, uh, say the Rockland Neighborhood Association, you know, they're just volunteers like the rest of us and they're doing the very best that they can. But, the, the system is such that they will support uh, the, if I'm going to call them anything, NIMBYs, although that's too harsh. Yeah. They'll support that, that, that group as opposed to looking after the, the, what they've agreed to in the past, which was community. In, as a whole. As a whole. Yeah. So I think what happened in that, in that particular instance is they polarized the community so much. Mm. I... I, I was actually embarrassed to be a member of that association, to be honest with you. I just don't think that's the way to, to, to go about things. So for our listeners uh, who may not know NIMBY, of course, the classic phrase, not in my backyard. Now you, Ken, would be uh, an example of the YIMBY, right? Right. The, the right. yes in my backyard. It's just, you know, I, I've been enough uh, city council meetings. And by the way, I, I give city council 
all of the credit they deserve because yes. to sit through hours to of, one o'clock. Of, of people talking about this, it really takes a, a special person. But people are they're very sensitive and very um, worked up about their their area, right? Right. Well, that's going to happen every time unless the council sets the stage for a conversation to take place before they get to that process. What was also interesting about this file was the Hudson came forward and, and the group was big in, in, in council chambers. It was huge. And I think council was looking for speakers against the Hudson, the last phase of the Hudson. And I heard uh, the mayor say, you know, first call for speakers, second call for speakers. No speakers. And, right. no, no speakers. speakers. <laughs> and the looks on everybody's faces like, what just happened? <laughs> One of the this tallest buildings. This is a 26-story yeah. building. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Nobody spoke. Yeah. But you know, it's amazing. I, I've, I, Unfortunately, I've taken in the habit recently of reading comments uh, in the newspaper articles, you know, about 1201 4th Street. Right. I typically do not because it's not constructive uh, uh, reading, right? But it's just, it's very interesting reading people say, oh, you know, the developer outmaneuvered the council and, you know, must be, neighbors must be paid off and all that kind of stuff. Every once in a while, a development like this is successful and it comes together because it was done right. Yeah, right. and, and what was interesting is I don't, you know, when I looked at the uh, speakers as they came to the microphone, I mean, my goodness, there was heads of the Canadian Architectural Association. Those people don't come out. He actually lived in the neighborhood yeah. and uh, reviewed the, the process favorably and other um, uh, buyers from abstract projects. And sure, every company's got problems when they when they go into construction and otherwise, but right. it was quite a remarkable uh, process in the end. Yeah. Um, but I am hopeful that the city of Victoria in its next iteration will go the next step and invest in those neighborhood associations so that there's at least a common platform. Yes. There are new products called like PlaySpeak that are online uh, products where you can put projects and ideas out and people can talk about them before they get to the application stage. Because right now there was an article came out from C.D. Howe May 15th that was in the Times Colonist. It's costing uh, 286000 that gets passed on to per, purchasers. Yes. Per, per, per house. house. Yeah. Just just on rules and regulations. So yeah. it's not about whether you're free market or controlled market. That's not what it's about. It's about literacy, about development. Mm -hmm. And the public doesn't understand terms like as of right. Yeah. And so the municipalities, if they make an effort in educating their constituents and preparing people for change in their communities, are going to have an easier go of the process. Yeah, very good. Uh, listen, if people need to reach you, Patrick, how can they do that? Uh, I can be reached by email at patrick.marshall at capitaledc.com uh, or by cell at 507-4500. Great. Uh, sorry, spell out capital. C-A-P-I-T-A-L yeah. and the letters Echo Delta Charlie. Great. Uh, you are such a wealth of information, Patrick. You know, you mm -hmm. could spend hours in conversation here. Mm -hmm. We will definitely get you back. It's scar tissue. It's I'm scar happy to share. <laughs> yeah. uh, Obviously. And, yes. And Ken Milbrath uh, from the Vancouver Island uh, Trail. Again, people need to find more information. Right. Support the trail. Yeah. Get it done. Vancouver Island Trail. Yeah, just Google that. And, the, and it's the Pemberton Trail in Victoria. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Very good. Well, you know, the thing I want to leave our listeners with today is uh, the three of us were interlopers watching the process of the public hearings for the True Center. Right. And I got to say, people should go and check these out more often. I think so, too. Instead of just going when it affects them at the moment, 
people should actually go and see what it's like. You know, feel the pain of developers or uh, local neighborhoods. Uh, see what the council has to get through. Uh, I mean, this was I mean, it was three nights, was it or? Yeah, three public hearings. Yeah, and it, and it was 123 speakers. speakers. Yeah, and, wow. they, at each and the Hudson of, got zero. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> so please uh, do that. Uh, support your local city council. Be Canadian and show up. There you go. Very, yeah. Thank you, Patrick and Indeed. Ken. And thanks to our so listeners, much. thanks for joining us. We'll be here for you this time next week.